Would you please join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. Gracious God, since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hunger for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The scripture for today comes to us from Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. It's a story we're all familiar with. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the last Sunday of our stewardship series. Oh, good. I always like to pause after saying that just to see if anybody goes, yes. Or, or if anyone else kind of groans like they'd like some more. Um, but I, I'm glad y'all were respectful. Um, I, today, uh, we finish out. We, we kind of sum up together. We uh, recognize that we've been on a journey talking about generosity for 28 days. In fact, we've even given you a calendar of generous small tasks that you could do over time. We have studied a book about the 28-day generosity challenge, and we've come to recognize over the course of these Sundays that the first step for us to become a generous person is to begin recognizing how much we are grateful for. On that first Sunday, we talked about how there are physical and emotional benefits to recognizing how grateful you are for what's around you. That some of the most simple things that you can do for self-care is to write down five things at the end of the day that you are grateful about for that day. Uh, research shows that that can create more happiness, more meaning, more purpose, um, and more joy. And then we recognize as we continued the journey that um, being grateful is one step towards generosity. But after gratefulness, then we have to be willing to pray. And we, we talked last Sunday about how some of us talk more than listen when we pray. And that some of the most powerful things that happen in salvation history happen because people listen when they pray. In fact, we kind of poked fun at Abraham about whether or not Abraham was the first person to be invited to go to the land of Ur. And we wondered what would it be like if God had asked other people and they didn't listen well because they talked too much. 
And so we see that prayer is one of those things that leads to generosity. And so today we talk about the importance of letting those um, gentle and not so gentle uh, nudges happen in our lives. I, I mean, so many of the saints written big S and even the saints written small S found themselves doing amazing, interesting, and challenging things because they were nudged. They were pushed in a good direction. It's interesting, our scripture story today, um, if you grew up in the church, you've heard this story regularly. You've seen it illustrated by uh, flannel board, by veggie tales, you name it, right? In fact, I, I noticed we all pretty much knew the song, but there were no words on the screens, right? That song is something that we've been ingrained into ourselves. And so some of you know that uh, um, Zacchaeus was uh, a tax collector, not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector. And the scripture says that he was rich. And you might wonder, how does he get rich? Is it because government jobs pay so well, or it's the pension or the benefits? No, no. You see, the Roman Empire would use folk in the particular nations to raise taxes. And it was kind of like uh, you had to get your quota in, but you could do it by any means necessary. And so imagine one tax collector might decide, huh, I think there needs to be a toll on this toll road. And so sets up shop and tolls everybody who comes by. I'm not going to say that's what the Harris County Toll Authority does, but you get the idea, right? Maybe another, maybe if Zacchaeus lived in your neighborhood, he'd be walking his dog or whichever, and he'd see that there was a big 65-inch flat-screen TV box that you put out for the garbage. And all of a sudden, there's a big-screen TV tax. You get the idea, right? That the, there's some flexibility, if you will, in how tax collectors in the Roman Empire were required to accumulate their taxes. And it's not that Zacchaeus was an underperformer. In fact, anything that you collected over the quota, you got to keep yourself, which I'm pretty sure is why Scripture in verse 2 says that Zacchaeus was rich. It wasn't because the government paid him well. It's because he'd been defrauding and somewhat stealing from all of his neighbors, his whole community, his nation, for most of his life. But there is hope in the story because Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus. So curious that he's willing to run ahead and climb uh, a tree just to get a look at Jesus. Now, I... I think there's some interesting pieces here, right? I wonder, you know, no, no one just spontaneously gets teased as an adult. There's usually a significant, you know, um, uh, significant uh, hazing ritual as a kid, right? I wonder if the first time Zacchaeus got called a wee little man was when he'd climbed up in a tree when he was younger just to see. So notice the humility and desire among Zacchaeus, in Zacchaeus to be able to see Jesus. And so Jesus comes up to the tree, looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry down for I must stay at your house today. 
We've talked before about the power of eating with someone, uh, that that a good Jew wouldn't eat with someone who was unclean or a sinner, because then that would rub off on them. Here, you don't have the problem of Jesus being a sinner, but you have the problem of Jesus associating with who? Tax collectors and sinners. And so uh, everyone around grumbled, but, but there we go, right? Jesus heads off to have dinner at Zacchaeus's house. And I believe there's some time between verse 7 and 8. It's kind of like the, the dinner happened, and Zacchaeus, having had this transformative experience with Jesus, he says some powerful words. He says to Jesus, look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay them back four times as much. Now, I know some of you are saying, come on, Peter, tell us from that seminary degree. That was like an Old Testament thing. If you defrauded somebody, you paid them back four times. No, (laughs) he is paying above and beyond. He has been confronted with how grateful he should be. And generosity is flowing from it. And I think this is how we get to verse 9. Verse 9, I think, is the linchpin of this story. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. I mean, that's powerful to think about. I mean, some of you might think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I've been going to church and volunteering at VBS, and I sing in the choir, and I tithe, and, and this guy just throws a dinner party for Jesus, and he gets in. Well, maybe it's a learning opportunity for all of us that that generosity, that transformation is more powerful than the duty that we might owe. I, I believe when we start thinking about the power, not just of gratitude, but then also listening in prayer, that we begin to find that the things that we thought we planned to do with our lives begin to be transformed. I mean, really, let's think. Uh, Probably Mother Teresa had no idea what she was headed towards, but we don't have to go to the New York Times for examples of people who have seen their lives changed by just a simple nudging, maybe gentle or otherwise, by God. I think about the folk who have sit in these pews for the last 30 to 40 years, some of them responsible for starting uh, the food basket, uh, Feed My Lambs, over at Clute Wesley United Methodist Church. There was nothing, and somebody woke up one morning with a nudge from God to say there should be something. And, and we have all helped participate in that food basket I think of one particular uh, young executive at BASF who, after um, shepherding a college pastoral intern for a summer here, then asked, well, what would keep me from taking an internship like that? And then within the next year, he'll graduate from seminary and is currently not not here to hear me embarrassing him because he's serving a church in Galveston. I think about another person here among us who was probably shy, probably introverted, probably had never led anything uh, in terms of a ministry here at the church, but because of the kindness uh, and love given to her mother in her time of dementia, she now leads a ministry that provides respite for those who had dementia. I don't think it's hard for you to notice. You don't have to read the bestsellers or the biographies. All you have to do is to think of the folk around you, 
how they have been nudged by God, how they have taken new paths. Sometimes those paths have been difficult. Sometimes those paths would have never been engaged without God's guidance, without a willingness to listen to God leading, without an opportunity to be sealed by faith. When we think about transformation, Merriam-Webster defines transformation as the act or process of changing completely. Transformation results from a commitment to follow God's will with all of our resources, our minds, our bodies, our intellect, our spirit, and of course, it is Commitment Sunday, our money. Transformation is possible when we open ourselves to God's direction and express God-like generosity. Uh, um, I, uh, interesting moment for me today, I am the proud parent of a 16-year-old. Now, what I love about that reaction, right? So the ones who, who, who celebrate, they're like, yeah, we've been there. We're going to watch you, <laughs> right? And then there's some of you who groaned like, oh, no, it's coming <laughs> right? for, for us too. Right? Well, it, it was delightful. The weekend we spent um, celebrating her birthday, we, we went to a, um, a movie. We're, we're now at that place where she likes movies that um, Amy and I don't like. And so we, we went to the same theater, but separate movies. Um, <laughs> so they saw something, I don't know. Um, and we saw Harriet. It's the story of Harriet Tubman. Um, I know a lot about Harriet Tubman. She was um, kind of part of that Wesleyan movement, which I know sounds really strange. Um, so, so studied and read about her. But I did not know that her name was really not Harriet Tubman, that it was only upon her making it 100 miles away from, South Carolina, or from uh, Maryland uh, into Pennsylvania, where she was set free, that she then choose a name that would reflect her new freedom. And so she chose Harriet Tubman. In fact, it was so amazing for her to make the hundred mile trek to freedom alone that the folk who greeted her in Philadelphia doubted that she had done it on her own. And then, because nothing's too difficult for Harriet Tubman, she proceeded to go back to Maryland because she was uh, married to a man and she wanted to bring him to freedom, and that her mother and father were there, and her sister and brothers, and she wanted to bring them to freedom. But first, one at a time, she'd bring her husband. And so she journeyed back, back to the plantation where she had been owned. And upon arriving there, I'm not telling you the whole movie, I promise. Upon arriving there, um, she realizes that everyone thought she had died because she had jumped off a bridge and that her husband thought she had died, and that her husband had remarried. Now, Harriet Tubman had uh, this kind of version of uh, epilepsy. She'd have spells, and it would knock her to the ground, but she would usually wake up with some sort of vision, uh, she thinks, of seeing the future. And so, um, having had this difficult um, um, event, um, she is knocked to the ground, she prays, and she says, Lord, why did you bring me to this place just to rub mud in my face? I thought I was to bring that man to freedom. And then a few scenes later, it's not one man, but it's about nine people, one, a newborn, that she clearly realizes that she would have never come back for strangers, 
She had to come back for her husband, but he didn't need to be rescued. These other nine did. Harriet Tubman becomes uh, the most productive conductor on the Underground Railroad, taking 90 slaves between 100 and 500 miles to freedom. Um, she, didn't, she couldn't read, and so the Underground Railroad said, no, you can't, you can't do this work because you can't read signs. How in the world would you ever be able to rescue somebody out of slavery? And she said, don't tell me what, I, what God and I can do. And she says, yeah, I don't read, but instead of learning how to read, I focused on listening for the voice of God, and I can hear it. <laughs> A pretty powerful illustration. You know, it's easy for us uh, to think that we are small fries, that we play a small role in what's going on, that really the people who make a difference in the world are those people with the big S saints, people like Harriet Tubman and um, uh, Mother Teresa. But let's be honest, today we just spent time remembering the small S saints who made a difference in all of our lives. We have told stories about people who have changed the face of our community because God nudged them to do something new and different. Let's not think that we're not as important as we could be. That when we focus on what we are grateful for, what we have already, it calls up within us a desire to be thankful, to, to tell God, thank you for all that you've provided. And in that uh, communication of thankfulness, if we listen, we might hear God nudge us to do something new, something uncomfortable, something different. And by doing that, we journey back to who God created us to be, generous people who listen to the Lord and who go and follow where God leads do you think it's possible for generosity to change you completely? It was true for Zacchaeus. Can you imagine God using your generosity to transform the lives of those around you? I pitched to the early service that who will be remembering and celebrating your life in 20 years? Who will sit here and stand on All Saints Day because you are part of the community that raised them in faith? What difference will all our lives make today in the lives of those who'll come after us? It's a powerful opportunity to consider what generosity might do for us and for others as we follow God today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.